Good morning, church. <laughs> man, it's great to be back here with you, man. Church, it's Sunday. What does that mean? It is absolutely our fun day. I'm going to fix this mic eventually. Um, it is great to be back here with you. It is our fun day because we can come together as his church and sing praises to an awesome God and celebrate life change through his son, Jesus Christ. God is working. You know, we haven't had a, the light on in two weeks. Yeah. What? What? So we're going to be praying for that. Will you join me this week? We pray in every day when your feet hit the ground, God, change someone's trajectory to be with you for all eternity. We, um, that's what we're all about, right, church? We're making more and better disciples of Jesus Christ, and we want people to, we want people to accept him as their Lord and Savior. Um, good morning to all you who are joining us online. Man, we wish you were here this morning, but we're stoked that you were kept connecting with us and you're singing with us, engaging with the word of truth with us this morning. And if you're new with us, welcome. Yeah. Right, come on, welcome to Vertical Church. Right. We love the fact that you are here today. You know, and um, we've been praying for you to show up so it's not an accident that you're here. <laughs> Surprise! Right? We love the fact that you're here with us this morning. We hope that you experience the love of Jesus Christ in a real way in your life uh, this morning um, as we chase this life with Jesus and serve an awesome God. Gang, before we get into this morning's conversation, you know, he, God's been doing some pretty amazing things in our church over the last several months. We've been watching him work over the, even over this past year, turn some things around, call people to himself. Um, but I also wanted to share, you know, the exciting news of and what he's doing behind the scenes. I don't know if you're on Facebook or social media or not, but over the last several weeks, God has brought people to his staff, uh, which is absolutely amazing. Yes. Um, he has continued to bring people in to line us up for what's next for us as a church. You know, a few weeks ago, um, we uh, asked Dania to step in, and she is Vertical's next worship leader, Dania Bolligman. Amen for that. Andy Witten. Man, that dude is, is, is priceless. Yes, come on. He's been brought on as our director of production communications. So what you see behind the scenes, how things happen, he is, it's going to be all him. Um, so you can yell at him if things don't work, not me. <laughs> Joking. What he brings to the table, he's going to make us better in every way. And then this past week, God bless us with Nikki Thurston. Yes. Um, stepping in as uh, a kids ministry champion. She will oversee her kids ministry, work with some amazing uh, leads are, that are there already, an amazing team who serve there every single week. Um, God is aligning us up. I'm so thankful for every single one of our staff members. I'm a part of an amazing team, and I'm excited to see what God's going to do. Amen, church? Thank you for praying us through this, and we will still continue to move forward. God has a plan. But this morning, we are stepping into this series, this new series titled Awaken. Igniting a revival starting with you. And if I'm absolutely honest, um, I had no plans for this series. None. I had some other plans, another series laid out, and God's like, no, Rich, I want you to talk about this. I'm like, no, 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 God, you know I've been planning this series for about three months or four months now. He's like, no, I want you to talk about this. I'm like, no, God, I really want to go over here and talk about this. He's like, Rich, he won, I lost. That's pretty much how it goes, right? So we're walking through this series um, God is telling me and probing mine, if I'm being absolutely honest, I have a bunch of words written down here, but I have, really don't have a plan where this is going to go, so you're surprised <laughs> with me. Um, 
Because what we've been witnessing across our country over this past month is nothing short of amazing, right? What we've been seeing in our nation, what we've been seeing in churches, in our schools, in our universities. You know, what, what we've been witnessing from Gen Z, right? There's this authentic desire to know God truly. Let's forget the fluff. Let, let me, someone tell me about this Jesus, right, and what God can do. It seems right when we see all this take place, actually stop as a church and to dig in to see what God is doing, to understand what he is working in the background. And maybe it's more than just understanding. Maybe it's finding out our part in it, right? What, what is God calling us to do? Vertical church, you, this body of this church. And maybe ask ourselves a hard question, are we in it? God is working, are we in what he is doing? You know, over the past couple months, the words revival and awakening have been flying around the Christian circles and churches, and we've seen it on social media and, and news articles and things of that nature. We've been reading and watching videos and making trips to see what God is doing and getting a glimpse of his work in pockets of people for periods of time. You know, the term awakening in the evangelical Christian world implies a slumber or passivity in the secular or less religious times. In order for something to awaken, one must have been asleep. And when the word is used, when we use the word awaken or awakening, what we're saying is that the church, the body of Christ, has been asleep has been unaware, or maybe even worse, uncaring of the spiritual nature of what's taking place in our nation. See, the truth is an awakening is an act of God. Awakening is an act of God. God's sovereignty, he pours out his spirit, and it impacts a culture. Maybe the newest uh, movie that's out, you've seen it, is that movie called The Jesus Revolution. Has anybody seen that movie? Yeah, if you haven't seen it, see it. It's an amazing movie. Um, it points to the last awakening in our nation. We've had a few over the last several hundred years. It's a, uh, a revolution or awakening starting in California, and it started spreading across the country. Hundreds, if not thousands of lives were surrendering to Christ. Generations were changed with the gospel, and the culture of Jesus freaks were born. And God used a group of people called the hippies that no one wanted to be around. And he called them to them himself. And he used them to infect a nation. Stephanie and I have some dear friends of ours who actually live in Bloomington, Indiana right now. And I think next week they're going to come and join us. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, they were a part of this Jesus revolution. They were a part of this revolution that spread all the way up to Buffalo, New York. And it always fascinates me to sit down and have a conversation with them of what they witnessed, what they were a part of, how God used them uh, to make a kingdom difference. And during that time, it was a time of radical hospitality. During that time of this, of this awakening, it was a bold gospel conversations. 
And it was also during that time there was this unbelievable sacrifice to do what God's calling his people to do. They're like, no, no, I don't want to do this. But God's like, do it. They're like, okay, I'm walking away from this because you're calling me to do this for you. Unbelievable sacrifice. A revival is when the church comes back to life. When a church realizes that it's been missing the mark and decides to become what, what it was meant to be. It returns to its passion of loving God with all of its heart, soul, and mind and strength and loving its neighbor as itself. It's when the church decides to be, become a beacon of hope in a hopeless world. That's what it means to be a revival. An awakening and revival, my friends, go hand in hand. An awakening and revival go hand in hand because awakening is all God. And there's spiritual pour out on his nation. But the revival is his church preparing for that, being ready for that. And I wonder, and I, I think through this, again, I'm off my notes, this is scary. I wonder if we're ready. I wonder if God's ready to have an awakening across our nation. And I wonder if the church is ready to be used by God. I think Pastor Greg Laurie puts it best when he says, America needs a spiritual awakening, but the church needs a revival. So for the next several weeks, we're going to be digging into a book that took place almost 2,500 years ago, and I hope and I pray that it's going to challenge the very nature of our lives and our calling and how we are actually living I mean, think about it. What if we could be a part of a revival? What if we, this church, could be part of a revival? Be part of calling the church back to the table and saying, we have a job to do. There are people who are far away from God who need to hear and experience the love of Jesus for themselves. What if we could be a part of what God wants to do, to punch the darkness and despair in the face with the light and the truth of the gospel. Would anybody in this room want to be a part of that? Come on, would anybody? Come on. In order to do that, in order for revival to take place in his church, Revival needs to take place in you. It starts with you. The person you look at in the mirror every single morning, that person needs a revival. Let's get into this. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah, we're starting at Nehemiah 1, this morning, Nehemiah 1, chapter 1, verse 1. If you grab an orange Bible and you come in, you'll find it on page 329. Nehemiah 1, verse 1. Or 329. Um, before we get into this conversation this morning, I just want to start by going to God in prayer. Are you okay with that? All right, let's do that. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word that we sang this morning. The stone is rolled away. And through faith, we have life with you. You are a good God, man. Every song we sang is so true this morning. God, as you've been probing my heart for us to walk through this as a church, I pray that not only the church, but my, that I'm ready to receive it. 
May we be challenged. Maybe we even be offended by what you're going to show us through this series of what we're calling to do and what we're not doing. God, let our hearts be ready. Let us, our lives be ready for you to use us in a way that we've never seen before. It's in your son's name I pray, amen. So we're gonna jump right into this Nehemiah chapter one, verse one, or you can follow along on the screen. Hopefully have your Bibles with you this morning. It says this, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, uh, the month of Kislev in the, between the 20th year. I was in the city of Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Let's just stop right there real quick. Nehemiah, from my understanding, had never been to Israel. He had never seen Jerusalem. This is roughly about 140 years after Israel was conquered by the Babylonians. And this is a very, a very important thing. God's people... God's chosen nation failed to follow him faithfully. He called them out. He called them to himself, and they turned their backs on him, and they worship other gods, and they rejected him. Man, is that way too close to home. Now, the USA is not in the scripture. Just want to throw that. United States of America, we're not in the scripture. But this country was founded on the principles of scripture, of a mighty God and this country has turned its back on him in a mighty way, in a very sad way. He sent, so he sent the Babylonian Empire in, into Jerusalem, and they crushed it. They broke down the walls, burned the gates, and they took out people, and they took them to exile. The Babylonian Empire, they brought them back, these people in exile. Then the Babylonian Empire fell to the Persian Empire. Man, there's always someone bigger, right? They're like, oh, I'm big and tough. Well, here's another bigger and tough nation. God says he's going to take over them. Um, the Persian Empire eventually allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem. So this is roughly 90 years before uh, the Nehemiah, what we're talking about this morning. All this had taken place, and Nehemiah is asking his brothers, like, what is going on? What is taking place with my people? And then they said to him, look at verse 3, those who have survived the exile are back in, in the providence are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted, and I prayed before the God of heaven. Let's just stop right there. He heard what was taking place, and he stopped, and he wept. What a, what a great place for you and I to start this morning. Because when it comes to revival, revival of our own lives, man, we have this understanding that revival starts with a broken heart. Revival starts with a broken heart. So what breaks yours? Are you looking around our nation and what's taking place and looking around at your neighbors who don't know Jesus, looking around at your coworkers, your classmates, is it breaking your heart that they don't have a relationship with God? What breaks yours? See, Nehemiah knew, had heard the news about his heritage, his nation, his people, and it broke his heart. He didn't need to be there to experience the pain. He just knew what was and what was wasn't right, and it overwhelmed him. So what breaks your heart? 
What is breaking your heart? See, if we were to look across our country and look at the big C church, the spiritual temperature of our nation is not one of them. On the daily, souls are going to hell. And that's not a part of the discussion amongst people, amongst God's people. It doesn't become part of the conversation. Somehow, some way, the church has become about fitting in and all about acceptance. It's about embracing ungodliness to be light. Somehow, some way, the consumeristic mindset has come into the church. Like, what have you done for me lately? Woo, 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 yeah. That's all I know about that song. People are more upset about who our president is. Gun control. Who won the Super Bowl? Our daily routines, our comforts in life. Than the person next to them being separated from their creator for all eternity. Somehow the church of Jesus Christ has missed it. Let me just say this, and I'm going to say this with complete love in my heart. Please understand that. If you are here this morning, and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by surrendering your life to him through faith, and you walk out those doors, and God forbid something happens and your life is taken, you will spend eternity in a place that I don't have words to describe. And I don't say that to scare you. I don't say that to manipulate you. I say that because Jesus loves you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. For you to be with him for all eternity. Church, that is what should be breaking our hearts. People dying daily who have experienced the love of Jesus in a life-saving, soul-saving way. Greg Laurie had a conversation with Pastor Chuck Smith, who is known as the father of the Jesus Revolution, and he asked him this question. He said, hey, Chuck, do you think we'll ever see another Jesus Revolution, another movement like this? And his answer should absolutely scare us because it's true. Chuck said, I don't think we're desperate enough. I don't think we're desperate enough. I don't think America is desperate enough. I don't think the church is desperate enough. I kind of agree with that. I mean, think about when this took place in the 60s and 70s, there was war, people were confused, people were scared. That they are looking and searching for something. The hippies went to, went, to, went to drugs and they're like, this is where I'm going to find what I'm looking for. But when they found Jesus, it all changed. Yeah. 
And I think back to, to 9-11 when our country was attacked. Our nation was scared. It was shaking his boots. You know what happened? Churches were filled that next Sunday. Overflowing with people trying to figure out what is true. But guess what happened? That little zeal was for a moment. They're like, oh, we're not going to die. I'm going to go back and do my thing. God's like, no, wake up. Wake up. So what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? The church needs a revival. And as I understand what's taking place with Nehemiah, revival starts with a broken heart. Are we broken for the right things? Well, he set the stage. He's going to continue leading us. Look at verse 5. Then I said, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive to your, and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant when he's praying before you day and night for your servants and the people of Israel. Let's just stop right there. Nehemiah's heart was broken when it was taking place for his people. And he went to the only one who could fix it. Revival starts when we have broken hearts. So what breaks ours? Revival is possible because the power of one. That's your second point this morning. It is possible by the power of one. When you look through this, look back, you see who Nehemiah is talking to and how he recognized him, great and awesome God. Nehemiah wasn't talking to a figurehead. He wasn't speaking to an idea. He wasn't talking to this idea of a magical genie, like you rub the lamp three times and you get whatever you want. He was pleading with the Lord Almighty, the King of kings, the creator of the heavens and the earth. So again, Nehemiah, his heart was broken for his people. He went to the only one who knew what could fix what was there in front of him. The only one who was powerful enough to heal a nation. The only one who was powerful enough to save his people. He understood who God is. And this is going to sound really weird this morning. But I think sometimes many churches miss this. They miss who God truly is. And sometimes many followers of Jesus miss who God is too. If we were to look at the church of Jesus Christ, I think the church has lost their awe of God. Our awe of God. We never miss talking about his love or speaking about his love, and that's so rightly so. God is love. God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son, right? God is love. But we can't miss his character, who he is that he, his majesty, his sovereignty, his power, his authority. We need to get back to the reverent awe of who we're speaking to, who we're talking to. 
We like to say Jesus is our friend, yes, but this is mighty God. In his book titled Awe, Paul David Tripp writes this quote. He says, I need the awe of him to recapture, to refocus, and to redirect my heart. Man, that sounds like what we need. We need our hearts refocused, recaptured, broken for the things that breaks God's heart. The church needs its awe back. The right understanding of who God is puts us in the right position before him. On our knees. If you look right now across all these little pockets of God moving in universities or churches, whatever, where it start? People were on their knees. They were praying. They were talking to God. Do something we can't. Only you can make it happen, man. If we have this awe of God, we come to him with his humble heart and say, God, just do it. Pleading with him. Will you do it? Because you're the only one who can fix it. Because God is the only one who can change the hearts of people. God is the only one who can change the spiritual trajectory of our country, our county, our community. So why are we not on our knees pleading with him? If our hearts were broken, our knees would be hurting. I think it's important to say here, we're going to interject, um, an awakening or revival is not an emotional movement. Yes, being before a holy God, an awesome God, a mighty God, and watching him move in our lives and the lives of others brings an emotional response, but that emotional response points back to our awe of him. You know, we are singing worship this morning, and I was up here, and I started crying. It wasn't because I had this emotional moment. It was because I was recognizing who I'm singing to and what he's doing and, and what I don't deserve, and I was breaking my heart. Like, I don't deserve your grace. Emotionalism focuses on more what I feel, not what is true. And when we chase after what we feel over what is true, what we have is fleeting and momentarily. That's why, I mean, come on, let's be real. How many of you with me have followed your emotions and end up in a place you're like, dang, didn't see that coming, right? I mean, think about it. We're in one moment, our emotions, we're here. We're like, yeah, hoo-hoo. <laughs> Our emotions, man, we can't base our faith on emotions. We need to base it on truth. Who God is, what he's calling us to do, how he wants us to live. When we chase after what is true, whatever we feel, we have the foundational truth of God, and we built, and we just rise up. Jesus says, I am the way, the Oh, snap. It's also 
revival and awakening is not about a spiritual mysticism. Spiritual mysticism is this over-spiritualizing or hyper-spiritualizing everything, making God the master of the mystic arts rather than the Lord of lords. No, we have lights and we have sometimes we have haze machines, but let me just be real clear. God's not in the fog, okay? Like, there's, there it is. There's Jesus. He's floating around the room. Absolutely not. God is simply present. Understanding who God is, he is 100 fully present, percent fully present right now, completely present everywhere, at every moment, at any time. So right here, right now, God is presence, his full presence. There's not a place or time that he's not fully present. He is God. That's understanding who he is. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it's not truly come Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's already present. He's already here. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, he's in you. Where you, where you tell him to come? He's already inside you. What he's saying is like, would you let me lead your life? I am present, but you're ignoring me. I'm calling you to something greater, but you're deciding not to go the direction I've called you to go. <clears throat> it's surrendering our lives to his leading. And when you read in scripture, it says be filled with the spirit. That's exactly what it is. You already have the spirit as a follower of Jesus. You just need to open your heart and your lives and let him lead you. And unfortunately, the reason I bring this up, these movements are sweeping across our nation and churches and derailing churches because they miss the mark. They take the power right out of the God that Nehemiah is praying to and who you and I come for before this morning. Look what we should be saying. Go look, look, look at what we should be saying in verse 6. It goes on. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and the father, father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, and the laws you gave your servant Moses. Let's stop there again. Not only revival starts when our hearts are broken, what breaks ours. Not only is revival possible because of the power of one, but revival moves through honest confession. Honest confession. Again, if you go to these places you've had, you went to, say, Asbury, and you were there, people were confessing their sin to God, saying, this is who I am, this is what was going on, this is how I'm ignoring you, denying you, and I'm calling it out to you, God. It needs to have honest confession. Nehemiah was on his knees or maybe on his face. It starts where every revival needs to start is confession. He didn't hide it. He didn't deny it. He was honest and broken by his sin and the sin of his nation. We have acted very wickedly towards you. Let me just ask you, church, do you see your sin as a wicked act towards God? 
Do you? I mean, he said earlier, uh, Bruce said earlier, we all sin and fall short of God. I, that happens. We sin. But when we choose to sin, when we choose to live in a way that's completely against God's calling and design for our lives as followers of Jesus, do we see that as a wicked act towards God, or do we see it as something that we, we hope to just pass us by and that God missed? God's got too much going on. He's not going to see that I'm actually living this way. Yes, there is forgiveness for sin, and that's the beauty of Jesus Christ. But we can't take away the nature of it. Why? Because Jesus Christ took a brutal death for the sins that he never committed. The sins of all humanity our sins, my sin, your sin. Do we look at our lives, the sin in our lives, as a wicked act towards God? If we did, man, we would make some changes. And I love that Nehemiah called out, have we not obeyed the commands and decrees and the laws? I love this because he tied the sinful behavior into God's will for the life while how he prescribed them to live. Where do you think they got those from? Where do you think they got God's commands, his decrees and laws? It was the law of Moses. It was the Bible of their time. They were called to follow it, obey it, to live it. And that's no different for us. We have a completed scripture in our hands. This is the word of God. Do me a favor. You got your Bible or whatever reading the Bible this morning. Hold it up. Right? Hold it up. Come on. This is the word of God. It's his life manual, how he has called you, his church, to live. A described life. A prescribed life for the best life with him. Every Sunday, I say, church, what? Read your Bible. Why? Is it because I believe that you have time to pass and you're absolutely bored to pick up something to read? It's because I know within the pages of this book is the best life possible how God has called us to live. We need to be in the word of truth. But it needs to go a step further than that. We can't just read the Bible and move on. We can't just be reading how, okay, you shouldn't be living this way, you should be living this way. Oh, that's great, I'm going to go to work and I'm going to live this way. No, no, no. He is calling us to a certain way of life. And when we read Scripture and God is telling us. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is yelling at us, screaming to us. That's because the Spirit resides and says, don't pass this by. What you just read is what you need to hear. What you just read is what you need to change. You say that you were mine. You say that you love me. But you're walking right back 
walk by how I've called you to live. It's like the Bible's screaming, wake up, wake up, America. Wake up, church. And I think about this. Okay, sex is for marriage. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Forgiveness is for everyone. And this can't be any clearer. God says, be holy as your Lord your God is holy. Set aside the old self and its wicked life and live the new self that's been renewed by the power of the Spirit in you. That you are a new creation. Live this life. Hey, you know what? Don't take my word for it. Let's read Ephesians 4 and see what God has to say. Look at this. Look what it says. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom you were sealed from the day of redemption. Okay, don't grieve him. He's in you, and he's there for a purpose. He says, get rid of all bitterness. Get of all rage and anger and brawling and slander. And along with every form of malice. Get that junk out of your life. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another just as Christ Jesus forgave you. Church, we're the most forgiven people on the planet. We should be the most forgiving people on the planet. You know what really hurts about this passage? As Paul was talking to the church. He wasn't talking to the people who don't believe. He wasn't talking to the people who had no, had a, they didn't have a relationship with God. He's talking to the people who say, I follow Jesus. Is your heart broken? Are you on your knees? Are you ready to have an honest confession with God about your sin? Choosing to repent from it and turn back to God means to simply turn away. That's what repent means. You were going one way and God convicted you, turn around and you're going absolutely the other direction. 180, living the other life. Friends, we can't call on God to pour his light of hope on a people and a nation if we're choosing to live in the darkness of our own sin. We can't say, God, God, will you just, will you have changed it all? Revival, awaken, we're this, God, we're looking for this amazing thing to happen, but we're going to choose to live this way in a way that you have said we shouldn't. And when we're in this position before God, when we're heart is broken, when we're humbled by who he is, when we're surrendering, confessing our sin, that is when God is ready to use us. Look at this. Keep on reading in verse 8, Nehemiah 1. He says, remember, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me, look at this, if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if you're, you <clears throat> exile people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them there and bring them to a place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. There they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and by your mighty hand. Lord, 
Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this servant, your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. Stop there. Come on. I think I just said that, but not in such pretty words. We live this way, God's going to scatter and he's not going to do anything. We live this way according to his laws, commands, and decrees of scripture. He's going to do something amazing. And we come before God in this point of our lives. That's when God's ready to use us. And we start seeing things from his perspective. We start seeing what he wants to do. And now what we want to do. Friends, revival is birthed through a God-sized vision. A God-sized vision. This is what I've called you to. This is what I have for you. There's two aspects of that statement that I love. The first is don't settle for the insignificant. God-sized vision. God didn't save you, save me, save us to live a normal life to have a normal impact in the world. I'm confronted by scripture that God saved us to change the world. I mean, Jesus died to change the world. Nehemiah was getting ready to go before the king. We're gonna get into this next week. But what he wanted to do was so far beyond his own ability and his power. It was a vision birthed within him that was far greater than one person that could accomplish. I mean, if we just stop, and again, you go back and read the book of Acts, which started out with 12 multiplied 120 then over 3,000 and they were supposed to go tell people and they were like no we're going to stay here in Jerusalem God's like no go and so persecution happened and they scattered and when people were running for their lives they started telling people about Jesus still could you imagine that Jesus loves you in fact if you look back and see what God has God-sized stuff happened in his church, what he accomplished in movements. By the time the last of his disciples passed away, somewhere around 100 AD, historians estimated there were over 1.4 million Christians in one generation. Roughly 200 years later, they were estimated there was over 14 million Christians 
approximately 7.5% of the world's population at the time. We need to have a God-sized vision. We can't insult the Lord with our own short-sightedness or our small dreams. We need to see the Jesus movement from his perspective. What does God want to do? What is God asking us to do? What is God calling us to do? If God could do anything in you and through you, what would it be? And here's my thought. So when you wrestle with that and you put yourself in a position before God where he can show you what he has for you, what he has for his church, take whatever vision he has given you and don't settle for anything less than a miracle. Don't. That's a God-sized vision. And that's my hope and prayer for each, every one of us who are following Jesus. There's no question that God is moving in his church. There's no question that God has been moving in this church, vertical church. I have no question or no doubts that he's setting us up for our next steps, what he's calling us to do, where he's calling us to go. To make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. And what we will do, we will take the vision that he has given us and we won't settle for anything less than a miracle. We'll ask God and plead with God to position us, humble us and put us ready. But we will pursue what he wants simply because we serve a God of miracles. So let's not talk about an awakening. Let's not speak about revival. Let us let God prepare us for it. I know how I'm going to end. I don't have an ending written. Whoops. That's what God's been birthing in my heart over the last several weeks, and He won't leave me alone. And I hope that He'll do the same with you. That we will pursue what he has for us, that we'll be humble enough to chase it, that we'll be willing to get on our knees and plead him for it. Because there's too many people 
in my life and your life who don't know Jesus. It's not about a word. It's about a life. Will you let God ignite the fire of revival in you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word. God, thank you for calling us to the carpet and having a a loving, honest conversation with us. We are excited what you're doing and watching it happen. But God, I pray that we will engage with it. That we'll be a church who's ready for you to do what you want to. Help us see the people around us who are far from you. And help us have bold conversations about the love of Jesus Christ with them. Help us stand on truth. Rebirth and awe of who you are in our lives. And make our life about what you want, not what we want. God, break our hearts for what breaks your heart. And may you birth that God-sized vision within each and every one of us. And then every soul that is saved is an absolute miracle from you. Right now I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. And I shared earlier that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, man, there's something that needs to change. If you want to know more about that, how to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to plead with you this morning to come forward and have a conversation with our prayer team. The revival that you need is a revival of your soul. Don't walk out those doors until you have it right with God. When I say amen, the people who be walking out, you come forward. And let your life be changed forever. God, we love you. We worship you. We serve you this morning. In your son's holy name I pray. Amen. God bless church. Have an amazing week.